Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey everyone, it's another episode, another week of Cinematics. Personally, I am very excited for this episode of some really interesting movies. There is a Frankenstein-esque film that I'm really excited to talk about. It's episode 193 of Cinematics. I am joined by Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky. Eric Holmes, you were just talking about a sporting event you went over the weekend uh, over at Denver, 14-1. What was going on? Were you uh, playing ball with your family over the weekend? Yeah, my, uh, my nephew Vinny had a, uh, a baseball tournament up in Denver. And he plays for a team in Nebraska called the Panthers. And uh, they were playing a game. Uh, when we got there, the first game they were playing is to seed for the tournament. Um, and then the next day they were going to do the tournament. But that got rained out. So I'm not quite sure how it ended up. But I do know Vinny's team, the Panthers, absolutely dominated the seeding game they played. It was 14-1. to 1. So uh, that's uh, that's sports talk here on cinematics, but uh, that, I, I was pretty excited to see his team do very well. Was Vinny a good sport? Did he actually, even though he, his team beat them fourteen to one, was he actually being nice to the to the uh, losers of the the squad? Were, were yeah, good sports about it. In, yeah. in fact, I think I because um, I'm not a big sports guy, but oh. from watching the game, I think they just worked really well together. You see, like certain mm-hmm. certain players in the outfield, they're just like. They're just on it, you know. It's okay. not it's not one person trying to uh, make the the hero play. It's everyone working together, and they just did that very well that game. Um, but then my yeah. brother Pat, he says, you know, some because uh, he's seen a bunch of those games. Like sometimes, sometimes they'll do really good, and they're just on it, and other days they're not. And that just happened to be one of the days that they're on it, and I was happy to see it. You were in Denver over the weekend. Did you have an idea that the Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat are playing right now in the NBA Finals? Were you aware if you're not a big sports watcher? You were not aware at all. I did not. I had no idea. <laughs> well, Denver, yeah, Denver Nuggets currently are playing at the Miami Heat. And they, right now they're actually in Miami the um, in the next hour and a half. So this cinematics episode will only be two minutes We're and we're going to be... Uh, Bruce, we'll get back to you next week. I'm going to go back and <laughs> not get to uh, try to beat the Miami Heat, but no. It's only game three. You got plenty of time. It's only get, 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 Oh, very good. Bruce Perky is up on the NBA Finals. He knows what's going on. I had no idea. This is the first time in cinematics and find your film in movie mainland where we actually talk sports. I think we go back three and a half years of not talking sports. That's So that's the first very and true. last sport. <laughs> right. This is our first and last sports segment ever. Anyways, courtesy of Eric Holmes and his family and the Panthers, 14 to 1. Now, before we get to Bruce Perky and what he's going to do as far as frying things over films and festivals, the movies we're covering this week are The Angry Black Girl and a Monster, Mending the Line, Dolly Land, and fine, last but not least is a documentary called Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert Englund story. Eric Holmes interviewed, I believe, Christopher Gas, not Christopher Gas, Christopher Griffiths and Gary Smart, the directors for that. And that's that interview can be found on our Find Your Film podcast feed. Now, speaking of frying and Southern and festivals, Bruce Perky, what's been on your mind regarding cinema in your neck of the woods last week or so? Well, actually, coming this coming week is Southern Fried Film Festival out of Huntsville, which is starting tomorrow night through Sunday night. I will probably go see. Something on Saturday, because just my schedule doesn't let me do too much more, but uh, they have a whole bunch of stuff coming on, and it should be a pretty fun deal. I have that interview up now with Trevit Willis. If you want to listen to that, she talks a lot about it as well, and we had a fun conversation. And that is the Southern Fried Film Festival, June 8th through the 11th in, I believe, Huntsville, Alabama. I believe most of the screenings are going to be in, I think, what is it called? The Intuitive planetarium or something like that bruce that's where most i think only the first night is there because that's the it's kind of the uh, kickoff one and and it's all about uh, it's a documentary about um, space flight and stuff and we have the space and rocket center there uh and then the rest of them are out of low mill which is like this uh old shoe factory it's a giant old shoe factory that's converted to artist space uh, and there's a bunch of artists and stuff there, and uh, they're going to do screenings there. And what's interesting about this, is, oh, this is very cool, about Southern Fried Film Festival, I think you're mentioning Trevi Willis, and she mentioned in your interview that her main goal is to actually have the festival, in a way, be a living, breathing thing for the full year. And and it, 
and Bruce, uh, uh, to your point, in Alabama, North Alabama, Huntsville, that whole area, the independent cinema scene is not. If if a movie comes out, it only yeah. comes out what, a week. How what's that state of the state of the state within your? area? I mean, you just you you'll a few like a twenty four and some of those kind of things, and some smaller movies you might get one screening for a week, maybe in one theater. Like for when I for example, um, everything everywhere all at once. I had to f- drive about an hour to the far reaches of Huntsville from where I'm at to get to that. And that's a pretty big release. Uh, and the only other place that's close enough to have actual independent cinema is either Birmingham or Nashville. And each are about a hundred miles away. So, so a lot of your, their indie stuff is basically on demand, on demand for you, or were you taking advantage of our cinematic universe? Just the, the screening links you get on a weekly basis, right? That's probably your, your ticket. Yeah, I'm just imagining like, well, I could watch all these in the theater if I lived in uh, one of these bigger cities. I was, in fact, I was looking. Uh, I think uh, Nolan's uh, brand new one coming out, right? Uh, Oppenheimer. Yeah, because they're going to have the special 70 millimeter limited screenings on film. And the closest to me is Nashville, but surprisingly, that's relatively close. I think some people aren't even that close to one, so. Bruce, are you still playing Tenet on loop at the house? Love are you, it. Are you... so good. <laughs> just, just put it in my veins. <laughs> I told you you'd finally come around. Hashtag sarcasm. But how about Colorado Springs, Eric Holmes, as far as indie cinema? Is it pretty much you have a wide swath of movies where you can pick from? Or is it some, somewhat sort of like Alabama where a couple of indies will come in and maybe they'll last a week, if that, or maybe two weeks, or maybe you have a lot? Uh, we have we have a lot of movie theaters here, but they all kind of play the same thing. Um, as far like there's uh, I think there's Tinseltown and uh, I think there's Roadhouse Cinema that sometimes plays uh, indie movies. Uh, some of them that we cover, most of them that uh, we don't. Um, we we have there's one downtown that's kind of sells itself as an indie theater, but they don't really play a lot of indie stuff. And so it, it, it's kind of weird, like, um, oh, cool, there's a new uh, Darren Aronofsky movie, and they're playing, like, Hunger Games or something like that. And it's like, well, that's okay. <laughs> that is really I, annoying. I, I suppose that you got to pay the bill somehow. But at the same time, you know, there's – I think even in smaller places, you know, there's always that uh, – there's always that group of people that want a little more than the, just a blockbuster, which blockbusters are fine. But when every theater is playing it, like, how are you competing – with that when the bigger theaters are playing the exact same thing, but I don't own a theater. So maybe uh, someone that owns a theater could come on the show and uh, set me straight, but yeah, it, it's they're They're hard to come by. So whenever uh, any of the movies we talk about is, you know, comes on streaming, that's usually the only way you can see it. And thankfully we get like screeners and stuff, which I'm grateful for because a lot of the movies we cover, I wouldn't be able to see otherwise. Hmm. Grateful. Bruce, what does that mean? Can you look that up? Because I've never screeners and grateful. Where, is that just... It means that we're bowing at your feet, Greg. I know you oh, love oh, this. So enjoy. Enjoy oh, okay. it. <laughs> Here we go. No, okay. Now we're talking about independent cinema, whether it's Huntsville or parts of Alabama or Colorado Springs. The reason why is our featured review, I, I, in my opinion, our featured review for this week, number one with the bullet, in my opinion, is The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster from RLJE Films. Death is a disease. It infected my brother, Chris. My hypothesis? There's a cure. Your daughter has a very disturbing obsession. What obsession? Death. Just think about your brother. I didn't have the chance to bury him. I just wish I could catch who took his body. Death is the disease that broke my family. I'm sick of seeing it. What Jada be running around here calling you some type of mad scientist? <laughs> Can I hang out with my friend? What friend? Chris. Where did you see him? 
He talks to me. It's in theaters June 9th, and I'm hoping it's playing in nearby Bruce Porky's area or Eric Holmes' area or listener, maybe somewhere around your area. It's written and directed by Bomani J. Story, Eric Holmes' recently interviewed story, and that's available on our Deepest Dream YouTube channel as well as our Find Your Film podcast feed. But he interviewed Bomani for this movie, and it's a very, really good interview because he talks, Bomani talks about how this movie is inspired, this tale is inspired by Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, that iconic story. And this is basically a Frankenstein-esque story. I, I think, you know, uh, Eric Holmes, you mentioned reading the Mary Shelley novel some years back, so you have experience on the Frankenstein, Frankenstein tale. But um, vis-a-vis this story, I, I don't know how, how to pronounce it, Eric. It's vicaria or vicaria? There's a big to-do about it in the pronunciation in the beginning regarding a really mean teacher, which I, I feel like a mean teacher if I get her name wrong. But I'm going to say vicaria by Caria, played by Leah DeLeon Hayes. And she is, I believe it's Leah or Laya. Laya? How do you pronounce it? Leah DeLeon Hayes. She's, uh, she's a lead. Leah, I guess. Leah? Okay, let's go. Let's go. Leah DeLeon Hayes. She's fantastic in this movie. She plays Vicaria. And she is a teenager who has experienced so much loss in her life that, and she's a very smart young, young lady. She believes, quote, that death is a disease. Death is a disease that can be cured. How will she cure the disease? By resurrecting her brother from the dead, her brother was recently killed in a gang shooting, and you you realize towards the end what the circumstances of that shooting. But in the beginning, you see him dead. She turns, she basically takes his corpse, and she resurrects him. And we're not going to get into the weeds about how she resurrects him. She's a very smart scientist, and she thinks because by resurre- resurrecting her dead brother, Chris, he's going to come back to the family. Everything is going to be hunky dory. But the problem, Chris, look, it's not. The angry black girl and Chris, it's the angry black girl and her monster. Chris is a monster and Chris ultimately wrecks havoc within the city, the neighborhood that Vicaria lives in. That is the premise of the angry black girl and her monster. There are moments in this movie, which I believe it runs 92 minutes. So it's genre thriller. It says here in the press release, but I think it's also horror because I was terrified by certain sequences in this movie. This movie also co-stars Chad L. Coleman who you might know from The Wire and I believe The Walking Dead. He's very, very good in this movie as well as her dad. So that is a that is a premise. Terrifying, impressive film from Bomani J. Story, his feature film debut as a director. Let's start off with Bruce Perky. Um, you are the I haven't heard about your thoughts, your initial thoughts on this movie. Is it as are you excited about this movie as much as I am? Did it have flaws? It's really getting well reviewed. Are you swimming with the current or do you see some flaws within the narrative? No, I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, this is a pretty cool movie. And I would definitely co sign on checking out the interview uh, Eric gave as well. You should check it out. I think that the, uh, the uh, filmmaker he was talking to had a great time in the interview as well. And it made it for, I mean, a really fun listen. Uh, and they, don't think they really get in any spoilers. You know, it's it's a, it's Frankenstein, so <laughs> yeah. you, you kind of know the idea of Frankenstein. I, I appreciated a lot of things about this movie. First of all, uh, and they talk about this in the interview a little bit, uh, the idea of, you know, Frankenstein's been done a million times in different ways, and doing it in this setting is, is really interesting, and I think adds a lot of layers, but it never gets... It never goes full A24. That's what I think is kind of interesting about this movie. This movie could be, I mean, it's serious, but it could be like super serious and super artsy and kind of just forget the pulpy side, the Frankenstein monstery side of it. But I think this kind of does both. It kind of plays in both worlds. And I think it does a pretty good job of balancing that. It, it has some some genre fun with the, the whole proceedings. You know, it doesn't, it's not afraid to give her, uh, you know, 
a laboratory, right? She has her own laboratory of sorts, and they don't, and they kind of uh, play that up. Uh, I also love just kind of the the joke of it in a sense. It's not a joke, but the joke that she's literally an angry or a mad scientist. If you think about it, I thought that was kind of great. <laughs> in the title, she's she's angry, but she's a mad scientist too. So I, I love that kind of thing. But I think the real strength of this movie is taking this well-known story and just plopping it in the setting. And you mentioned The Wire, and it's almost like a neighborhood that can be in The Wire. You know, you've got this this small neighborhood with families living their lives, but there's constant threat of violence. There's kind of this constant, um, you know, this kind of little miniature, I don't want to tell him a drug lord, but kind of the, the, the drug dude in that little vicinity and how that person holds certain power within that realm. And I thought that, uh, was it uh, Denzel Whitaker was, was really cool and a really interesting foil for the Vicaria character, but she is the story here, right? Her performance and her character is what steals the show and what really gives it a really great focus because she's rightfully angry. She's just trying to make this a better place, but she's also a little messed up because when you see her going through all of her experiments and stuff, she looks a little, you know, a little bit like she's too into it, you know, and then she doesn't think it all out. So in some ways, it's a little bit like Reanimator too, you know, where, hey, we, we're going to try this out and then it doesn't. Or, or maybe a pet cemetery where things aren't going to go quite like you think. Last but not least, I really enjoyed that it could take some interesting detours. There's a moment, I would say, not a moment, there's a sequence about, I don't know, two thirds of this way through the movie where the whole extended friend family group has a dinner. I, I mean, I could see a lot of like, I could see a lot of notes from studios being like, ah, you can't have that in there. That's this. Why is that in there? And I'm like, I, I loved that scene. See, I almost wanted more of that. So I weirdly, I think the monstery, scary stuff was the least interesting stuff in this movie. Although of course it had to be there. I, I was more interested in the characters to some degree, but I liked it quite a bit. Right. And I love the themes about death being a disease, especially in yeah. that area, but the Bomani doesn't beat you over the head with that theme. It's just right. fully integrated within the story. It's on the nose, but it's also not trying to be super metaphoric. It's just like, hey, this is it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is what happens here. Yeah. Eric, you you have the closest relationship to this movie with the interview. Your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I really like this one a lot. Uh, first of all, I love Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the the story, the various adaptations of it. I, I'd always wanted to see like a, a kind of true adaptation of it um they kind of almost got there with the movie mary shelley's frankenstein that frank darabont wrote that but what what's his name directed right now kid that wasn't great but I, so when i read books that i like and then i see movies based on them i want one of two things one either get as faithful to the source material if the source material is great be as faithful as you can to it or have a different take on it a different interesting take and this one was definitely the latter it wasn't it, you know it definitely wasn't uh mary shelley's frankenstein it kind of had a different kind of angle to it uh think of vicaria uh she was essentially dr frankenstein in this in the story it's uh frankenstein makes a monster uh he's disgusted by it throws it away and the monster gets you know uh, rejected by society and it's misunderstood monster that that's what that's about. And then eventually the monster becomes angry at his creator and must come, come back for him. This one feels like a kind of flipping it around. Whereas the, in, the monster is not misunderstood. It's Dr. Frankenstein or Vicaria in this case, that's misunderstood. She's trying to do something. She's trying to do something great, but Everything that comes out of that is just horrifying and not helping and hurting people, um, which was not her intent. It was just a science experiment that got out of hand, and it it was a really interesting take on it. But Monty J's story in the interview talks about uh, reading the story and seeing some stuff they left on the table, and he wanted to kind of pick that up and run with it, and I think he did a great job of it. Yeah, it's a very interesting movie. I, I I was surprised at how much I really, really love this movie. And like Bruce said, just great performances all around. The Angry Black Girl and Her Monsters in theaters on June 9th. Hopefully this is one of these movies where if you miss it in theaters, hopefully on streaming or on-demand digital, people will... This, I, this is a movie that I feel will be getting a lot of views just based on word of mouth. Let's start with our ratings. Bruce Brookie, your rating on this film. Um, I'm torn. I, I think I'm going to go... 
four stars. I think it's very good. It didn't quite stratosphere for me. And I don't know if it's just because the horror elements weren't quite horrific enough for me, but yeah, whatever. It's really good. <laughs> so yeah, it's a really good movie for me. This is, I love the horror stuff. I love the social stuff. This is close to a perfect movie for me. So I'm giving the angry black girl and her monster four and a half out of five stars. We're closing out with your rating, Eric Holmes. I think I'm going to go five on this. As much as I love the original Mary Shelley's story, this is this is how you do adaptations. You know, it, it's it's not a perfect one for one remake, but at the same time, you can tell there's a lot of artistry and thoughtfulness behind it. And you know, as far as the gore goes, I nearly threw up a couple times. So <laughs> extra points for that. That is something else. Yeah. Okay. So that is a five-star banger from Eric Combs, four and a half stars from me, and four stars from Bruce Perky again, the angry girl. The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster in theaters June 9th. Now, here's a movie that I only know because I think Ben Kingsley's playing Salvador Dali. It is a movie called Dali Land. I got screeners for all of us. I did not get around to seeing it. Thankfully, Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes were able to see Dali Land. It's a Magnolia Pictures release. Comes out in theaters and on demand June 9th. Ben Kingsley in the lead and it also stars Barbara Sokoa. Sounds like might be an interesting movie. Bruce Perky, why don't you lead us off with your review of Dolly Land? Sure, yeah. Uh, I think we also mentioned that uh, a small part by Ezra Miller, who's very buzzy at the moment or has been for the last year in this movie, just if mm-hmm. you're interested in that. Although he doesn't really have much of a role in here. He just plays young Dolly in a couple flashbacks. Um, this is... This is good, but not great. And I think it could be great because it does some things that I really like to see in a biopic. So first of all, instead of just saying like, we're going to do Dolly's life, they don't do that. They pick up a spot in his life and focus on that, which I always appreciate that. Even though it has a few flashbacks, it's generally taking place in the later part of Dolly's life, early seventies, when he is kind of, uh, you know, he's an established figure and he's almost like this weird iconic party figure in the early 70s, especially in New York, where this, it, he's almost like a, a Warhol, where he's, he'll get these, you know, giant hotel rooms, and he'll have, uh, or suites or whatever, and all these rock stars and various glitterati of the day will all come and be seen with Dolly, and Dolly's seen with them, and vice versa. And this basically will focus on kind of that lifestyle through the eyes of this young um, art uh, dealer assistant guy that kind of gets gets kind of attached. Well, he gets assigned to Dolly, and then Dolly kind of pulls him into his sphere for a certain part of period of time. So you're kind of seeing it through that guy's eyes. And then um, the main focus of that is his relationship with Dolly, kind of Dolly in his aging years, and how he's uh, how his fame and art are kind of being balanced at that point of his life. Like, is he still producing new art that people care about, or isn't he? And is there some other stuff going on? And then the other big side of it is Gala, his longtime love, who is there, and the various, the very odd love relationship they have. There's 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 some wheelings and dealings in their love relationship as far as how they have other people kind of circulate throughout their life. Um, it's a really cool performance, especially by Gala by Barbara Sokawa Sokava. I can't say her name. Sokova, I think it is. Uh, and Dolly by Ben Kingsley, of course. He's actually surprisingly good as this because he he can he can chew the scenery and he does a little bit here, but he's pretty good in this. And I would say my major trepidation with this movie is that it's a little bit more movie of the week than it needs to be. Like it kind of doesn't go too far into being super interesting and super. I think this could be much more experimental. I think this could be much more odd, and I think it's a pretty it's a pretty on the nose average representation of a really odd thing. So it goes, it could be great. And it, to me, it's just good. Was it a labored watch for you? No, no, I was entertained pretty much throughout. I I could see some people being a little bit like it was a little slow for some people. And maybe Eric is one of them, but I was entertained enough by the relationships and the people in here that I was, I was, it kept me through the whole movie. It didn't, I wasn't like, you know, staring at my watch and hoping I had fast forward. I was, I was fine with that. We have to also mention that this Dolly Land is directed by Mary Heron. Mm-hmm. It's known for such films of, as I Shot Andy Warhol and, of course, American Psycho. I'm sure Eric Holmes is a fan of either I Shot Andy Warhol and or American Psycho. Were you, Eric Holmes, a fan of Dolly Land? And the notorious Betty Page. 
which I yes. I like that as well. Uh, this one I I did like for the most part. Um, I I don't know if this was the point, but I got a lot of comedy out of this because um, it kind of shows how people in the art world can be completely up their own ass. It, even Salvador Dali it points. Uh, they had uh, Mark McKenna, I think, played Alice Cooper. Uh, he didn't have a real mm-hmm. big part, but there was uh, who's a Jesus Christ guy, Jeff Feinholt, played by yeah. Zachary Nakbar Sekel. Um, do you know who that is? Cause I don't, but I feel like I should know who that is, who the real person was or who I I don't, but I'm assuming he was a up and coming dude during the time of Jesus Christ superstar, but I don't think he was the guy who played him on in the movie. But once again, I didn't research it too much. I got stuck on the Alice Cooper character thinking like, that's not, he doesn't look right, (laughs) but whatever that was. Well, that, that, that character, like they kept going back to him and, uh, uh, Bella really likes him. And, they kept doing the, uh, oh, no one's going to remember Alice Cooper. It's you. They're going to remember. <laughs> and then every time they showed uh, showed the Jesus Christ guy, like, doing, like, playing his songs or, like, talking about how, how much of a great artist he is. And they just, like, comes out with this kind of basic calf-ass crap. And I, I, I found a lot of comedy in that. It, usually uh, that kind of character is kind of played up in comedies, but this one was real subtle, but I found it kind of funny. Um, as far as the Ezra Miller parts go, actually you could probably have cut those and then you wouldn't have the whole Ezra. And that's not just because of the whole Ezra Miller thing, just the flashbacks. The movie's two hours long and you didn't need those flashbacks. I don't think they did some interesting things with them, but ultimately I think we got Salvador Dali and Gala's, uh relationship without those they just kind of added a little extra surrealism to it but one thing i that did not leave my mind the entire time watching this was uh content de pew's next movie dolly i assume <laughs> it's about salvador dolly and the whole time i'm watching this going i cannot wait to see content yeah. de pew's version whatever that's gonna be but overall th- this wasn't bad and actually, with the Ezra Miller thing, I think because there's a bit of a toxicity between Salvador Dali and Gala, and having Ezra Miller pop in to kind of remind you that people are like that, you know, maybe it's kind of like a meta thing to the movie that probably wasn't originally intended. But yeah, but beyond that, yeah, you just probably cut all his scenes and probably be a better movie for it, or maybe not. I don't know. But overall, this was this was a lot funnier than I thought. But it's not like laugh out loud funny. I, I don't want you to think this is a comedy. I just found some comedy in it that may or may not be intentional. So ultimately, this was a worth worthwhile watch for you, Eric. Dolly I think Land? so. Yeah, I okay. think so. Okay, so let's get to ratings. Dolly Land again in theaters and on demand Friday. Bruce, what's your rating on Dolly Land? I'll probably go three, three. Okay, mild recommend from Bruce yep. Berkey. Okay, three stars. I'm assuming that might be the similar rating for you, Eric Holmes, on Dolly Land? Uh, not only similar, the exact rating. I think it's uh, about the same. It's like I really enjoyed watching it. Probably won't go back to it. And it just it, it just got me even more hyped for the Content Depew movie that will yeah. be coming out soon enough. Okay, uh, Eric, Bruce, are you guys fans of Succession? Bruce, you are a subscriber to Max. Have you seen Succession yet? Have you checked Succession, it out? Succession, I have seen the entire series, yes. Oh, you have? Yes. Oh, okay, I did I did not even know you were a fan of that series. Okay, very very interesting. Okay, and Eric, you, were, you never saw Succession? No, but I'd, I've heard people say it's actually over and like not just canceled, but actually finished. So it's finished, I, yeah. I, 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 I'm more likely than not to actually dive into it and what my the the problem with the not to get off on the tangent but my problem with tv shows is that they'll often just kind of stop i really like the dark crystal i really like the glow and they ended on like such a cliffhanger and then just got canceled so i've been burned one too many times so unless a tv show ends like ends officially then probably won't go get into it bruce do you think succession would be catnip for eric holmes who loves writing and everything like that do you think that might be right up his alley the writing is pretty fantastic. The character, uh, uh, it's hard to say because the characters <laughs> might be so insufferable that he may not be able to handle them for, th- what is it, four seasons or three seasons they end up four with? Seasons. I forget. Yeah, yeah four, four seasons. But the writing is so subtly hilarious and not so subtle sometimes too, but it's it's quite amazing. Yes, it is definitely. I agree with you, Bruce. Succession is quite amazing. The reason why we got into this little mini succession talk 
is I miss watching Brian Cox in Succession. I miss Succession. And <laughs> yeah. he is one wow. of the leads. Well, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there it is. And he's one of the leads in the new movie, Mending the Line. And here's the, the plot synop tagline. Quote, an uplifting veteran story about healing from trauma. And specifically, the person who is trying to heal from trauma is John Cutler. That's the character, John Cutler. He is a Marine vet played by Cinqua Walls. You might know Cinqua Walls for his recent performance in White Men Can't Jump. So he's not streaming on Hulu. So he's getting a lot of play for that. But right now, Mending Line is an indie drama and he plays a Marine vet, wounded veteran who is getting rehab at the local, I guess, a center hospital area somewhere in, in, Livingston, in Livingston, Montana. And he has to stay in this clinic to be assessed whether he can go back to, because he wants to go back to duty and he's being assessed by a doctor played by Patricia Heaton from Everybody Loves Raymond. She's a doctor who's in charge of him and to see if he is mentally and physically fit to go back on a, another tour of duty in Afghanistan. So that is the initial premise of Men in Line. One of the reasons for him, one of the ways that this character, John Cutler, can actually hopefully heal is by learning how to fly fish. And here comes Brian Cox as this wizened, military vet who helps shows him the ropes of being a fly fisherman so that is and also we have to mention perry matfield is also here as a librarian who might be a potential friend or love interest to our main character there's irene bedard you might know her from pocahontas and more recently how to blow up a pipeline she plays a an important character in in relation to perry matfield's character and yeah so there's some really interesting characters and and what's interesting about men in line is it's 122 minutes B, it deals with three stories. It deals with Brian Cox's story. It deals with Cinqua Wallace's story. And it also deals with Perry Matfield's story because she has a military uh, fiance who passed during the war. So there's there's three stories for the price of one in Mending the Line. It is melodramatic. It is a drama. So I wonder if Eric Holmes at 122 minutes, you found this narrative to be bloated or did these stories work for you as a viewing experience, Eric Holmes? Uh, these absolutely work for me. Uh, also, Wes Studi is in it, and he's he's great in this. Is Brian Cox's buddy that works at the fishing tackles. But uh, yeah, I, I I just really liked how three different people dealing with three different versions of trauma kind of come together. And you you mentioned melodrama. This is absolutely melodrama up the A. But at the same time, like like Sidney Lament, his movies also deal with melodrama, and he leans into it, and it usually yes. works as a result of it. I think this kind of does the same thing. You know, it's, it's not afraid to be schmaltzy. It's not afraid to be melodramatic with its heart on its sleeve. And, you know, it's, it's telling a story that, uh, you know, the, the writer and director think is important and it does in such a way that I think it kind of, kind of, uh, what, what, what do you call it? Where it's like, uh, tugging at you or pulling you, leading you along, but I, your heart I, strings, it, right? No, no, like uh, manipulation, manipulative. Yeah, manipulate, manipulation. Thanks. Um, it's definitely manipulative, but it's it's one of those movies that does that, and I just kind of go with it. You know, I I, I was uh, I wouldn't say I'm, I was enjoying the ride because it got really sad sometimes, uh, really harrowing at other times, and really thoughtful and loving at other times. And it just kind of I don't think this is a movie for everyone, but if you're the type of person that can watch a movie like this and just kind of open yourself up and let it manipulate it you in the way that's trying to, I think you probably get something out of it and might be, might be inspiring to some people. Other people would watch it. They'll just be rolling their eyes going, Oh, I hear the music and blah, blah, blah. Where's explosions or you know, what, whatever. Um, but I, overall, I really like this one a lot. I think this is a movie that our friend Angie Clark would love. So I think we need to recommend this mending the line to her. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, Eric, I think you make some really good points here. Melodrama can be considered a pejorative, but at the hands of really good filmmakers, really good storytellers, stellars, storytellers, melodrama can be an addition. It can be a good word. And this is just a really well done movie. It's directed by Joshua Caldwell, written by Stephen Camillo, and it's really good performances all around. I thought at 122 minutes, I was, ro- it says 122 minutes. I thought it was 101. Anyways, at two hours, I thought. It, it merited the length. I, I was not bored whatsoever. Three stories. Yeah, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to devote two hours to these three stories. And I think it's really well done. I think uh, Cinco Walls is excellent. Brian Cox has some really great monologues in this movie. And I almost, you know, I I got almost, I almost teared up in this movie. It got, it got, it really pulled your your uh, 
you know, we talked to your heartstrings, right? I almost got choked up. Even in the fly fishing, I, I'm thinking about some really good fly fishing stuff. I, Bruce, I think you missed a good movie. Um, I, 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 I'm giving you the, you know, we, we each have like a movie that we <laughs> yeah. don't have to watch every week because we, we all watch so many movies. But this is, one, again, this is another movie that I think is was worth the two-hour watch. Eric Holmes, final thoughts on Mending the Line. Yeah, I, I guess another thing I forgot to mention is the uh, whole uh, metaphor, the fishing metaphor throughout. Uh, my friend yeah. uh, Jeremy Han- Hamilton, he's he he loves fishing. Mm-hmm. Like he's absolutely passionate. I went to his house one day, and he's got like all these uh, stuff to like tie up his lures and everything. And they had a lot of that in this movie that kind of tracks with what he was showing me with that. And I think anyone that's uh, really into fishing will probably get a lot out of this as well. But I, you know, the the whole melodrama of it, it's just um, I don't know if it'll work for everyone, but I ate it right up. I I yeah. really enjoy this movie a lot. I'm gonna be honest. I'm giving mending the line. I'm surprised. I was gonna. I thought I was gonna give it like oh maybe a three or three and a half. I'm giving it at four and a half. I would watch this movie again. At four and a half stars for me. Just really well done across the board. So how about you, Eric Holmes? I'd probably go four stars on this. Um, and who knows? Maybe if I watch it again, I get four and a half. Yeah, Brian Cox is great. West Studio, as little as he's in it, is I, I actually if West Studio was in this more, this might get bumped up to four and a half, almost five stars. <laughs> Very good point, Eric. I'm so, I'm so, dude, I'm so glad that you like this movie because as I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking, I wonder if Eric's gonna like this movie because I, for some reason, I'm really, really loving Mending the Line. So that is Mending the Line in theaters June 9th. Yeah. I, I, it would it'd be so interesting to see what Bruce do you think Bruce would like it Eric Holmes do you think or would he say oh it's too schmaltzy not for me do you, uh, think, he have, do you think he would have dipped out on mending the line would he have given the guess would, to someone else my <laughs> guess would be no but I don't know I don't know <laughs> this feels like uh, sometimes Bruce will watch a movie and be like I think Eric might hate this but I don't know this is kind of like I'm yeah. watching this going I think Bruce might hate this but I don't know are you saying Bruce might hate it because he has no empathy as a human being, possibly, you think? No, I, th- I think it might be a little too <laughs> manipulative for, for him. Oh, or okay. maybe if Bruce just watches it and just lets himself into it, maybe he'll feel the same way we do. I think it goes for anyone watching this because it's a very specific tone and you're either into these type of movies or you're not. Yeah, I just think Bruce has no heart. That's why he wouldn't like Mending the Line. We'll see what... You know he, he, You know what Bruce has? He has fingers with... With blades and knives that cut people, and he's he's why he beats up on dream warriors all the time. That's why he probably loves a documentary called Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story. It's currently, as of this recording, streaming on Screenbox and available on digital. There are horror icons. There's Freddy. There's Jason. There's Pinhead. There's Chucky. But then there are iconic horror actors. Fasten your seatbelts. I never set out to become a horror icon. Something I wasn't planning. It's just something that happened. Like most actors, you don't realize that this is going to be a life-changing moment. If the guy behind the makeup isn't selling it right, then it doesn't work. Can't have any style of film without having a charismatic person at the helm. He brought so much into Freddy, the way he built Freddy. Robert still managed to make him not just horrific, but likable. That's why you hire an actor. And he's Robert f***ing England, for God's sake. Now that's some prime time. We made a lot of fun of him and what Freddy had become. And it was just really amusing and crazy. There was a huge crowd. They started rocking the trailer. It was scary. I mean, we thought we were going to be tipped over. I didn't know this was so serious. Freddy killed children. And he had a television show. And it really appeals to a young audience because they enjoy the rending of these bodies on screen. And so Robert is a de facto uncle to this audience. Mr. Knifey Hands is here right now. I think I'm going to partying with Robert more than I end up working with him. I like it. <laughs> here was a guy, as a character actor, could have, I think, done anything. However, having done Freddy, he's iconic. And yet it was oddly limiting for him. And I think assumptions get made about horror actors that they're less than, and it, it's unfair. I thought a little bit about fighting it. Robert walked in, and I thought, oh, this is just so right. <laughs> I just go to Robert. I need you to play Buckman. I'll only do it if it's hee-haw and acid. Welcome to Pleasant Valley! 
he's hyper aware of what lens is on the camera. What's the, not just what the angle of view, but what's the lens. He's one of those film actors who understands film. Robert as a fellow actor is a dream. He's Shakespearean. Robert Eglin's a great actor. It's as plain as that. Eric Combs, you interviewed, again, what, Gary Smart and Christopher Griffiths for this documentary. We'll get to you in a second. Let's get to the untrained eye, the person who didn't do the interview, who had not, not, not even a sliver of bias. I'm sure you might have the bias because you love Robert Englund, possibly. Is, was this movie the, a documentary that was just really up to your what, what you wanted to see? Yeah, well, this is this is one of those. Hey, you want to you want a documentary about Robert England because you're a fan of horror, mostly probably. You're going to get a lot of it here, which is is good. So this this is one of those. It's, it's almost I don't know what Eric thinks, but these are almost the kind of documentaries that are hard to rate because they're so aimed at a mostly a certain audience. Like if you're not into horror movies or Friday thir- or not Friday Thirteenth, but um. Freddy movies or any of that stuff, you're probably never going to watch this movie. You know, this is not going to probably ever be something you you do. I mean, maybe maybe you will. Maybe you loved V back in the uh, I <laughs> the love early V. 80s. Yes, yeah. yeah. So maybe that'll get you in the door. But so I think there's a kind of a built-in audience. So that being taken into account, you come into this movie and say like, okay, as a at least a general fan of um, the Nightmare movies or Robert England in general. Does this give you what you want? I'd say, yes, it does. It has a big chunk. And honestly, the interview is, is a great place to go too because they address a lot of this. And Eric talks a lot about this too, but they address a whole bunch of, you know, his rise to fame as Freddy and kind of what f- being known as Freddy and kind of being super identified as Freddy kind of did for him and did to him too, you know, because think of everybody that's ever become super iconic as a character, you know, Leonard Nimoy as Spock, or, you know, pick pick your really famous person that got stuck kind of only as being known for that role. So there's kind of a, a two-sided, two-edged sword, I guess, with that. And they get into that as well. But I think, and I think everyone could get different things out of this. The people that love the Freddy movies are going to really dive into that part of it, which is probably the middle half of the movie, probably the, the second and third quarter of this movie are pretty much in that realm. I love the early stuff because to me, I really kind of like to see where he came from and, and and all the stuff he went through to get there. And I thought that stuff was for me the most fascinating. You know, it t- talks about his surfing and, you know, all these really early movies he did. I, I had forgotten, or maybe I'd known it one time, but I'd forgotten it, um, that he was in Eaten Alive, which is an early Toby Hooper movie. I loved the amount of focus that they gave to another kind of a lost favorite of mine from that era, which is Dead and Buried, which I think is definitely, if you like horror fa- uh, films from the 80s, especially go back and find Dead and Buried. I think you'll find a real lost gem. Uh, and then a, there's a bunch of stuff like that in here. So I think for fans of the genre, especially, this is a solid kind of meat and potatoes bio documentary on Robert England from the beginning to now. And uh, I think you'll have a good time with it. Okay. Sounds like a really good cheeseburger, uh, Eric Holmes. Did you uh, really, was this a good meal for you? Hollywood dreams and nightmares, the Robert England story. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, it, it appears that Screenbox is doing a bunch of these, and we did the was this one living with Chucky. I think the living with Chucky one had that little extra family thing that I think set it past just a documentary about Chucky that had like something that people that aren't into Chucky might uh, latch onto. I don't. Maybe this has a little bit of that with with the. Robert England being known as Freddy and then trying to break out of that. But I think for the most part, this is a, this is a documentary for fans of Robert England, fans of horror, you know, just fans of movies in general. Um, I don't know that it reaches much outside of that. All that said, I, I really enjoyed watching these and, um, I think they got another, uh, Robo dot, uh, Robocop documentary coming out. Really looking forward to them, uh, what yeah. they do with that. Yep. And, uh, you know, it is, uh, I mean, there's not much bad to say about it, but I think this is, in fact, there's not much to say about it at all because this is exactly the documentary that you want if you're looking for this sort of thing. And if you're not looking for this sort of thing, there's not going to, you know, I, I don't think this is going to be the one to pull you in, but yeah, it's really entertaining. And Lynn Shea, they need to do one of these documentaries about Lynn Shea like yesterday. 
Now, did you specifically these two guys because they're really good at these? Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, that's a great idea. Did both of you learn a lot more about Robert England? Meaning, you know, you knew about him because of his films. Is it really informative? Because you guys were expecting something, you got what you wanted. But did you see him in a different light? Was it just a lot more stuff? I I think uh, especially the the early part of this documentary gave me a lot of uh, ooh let's ooh guy check out that. He looks good in that. I'm checking that movie out. Ooh, I didn't know he was in that movie. Oh, yeah, he was in Eaten Alive. I'm going to have to go watch that again. <laughs> it was great in that. So it's more like, a, yeah, it's just a fun thing to watch. And it's also, uh, you know, something you can get a lot of movie good movie recommendations out of it as well. Okay, very, very cool. And um, yeah, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares again, currently streaming on Screenbox and available on digital. Bruce Perky, your rating. Um. My rating. Oh, one last thing I wanted to say. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, um, the directors. I want to point out that they do some really fun editing in here, and I almost want to see more of that. Where, like, three or four different people are interviewing are all talking about the same event, and they start editing in a way where one person's telling the story, and the other people are almost reacting, but not really reacting to what they're talking about, and they almost oh. do do some really fun little interplay with that, and I I, I love that. And I also want to double double down on the Lin Shay because I think Lin Shay's the twist on Lin Shay would be you would have this documentary and people would be like people who know would be like oh yeah Lin Shay, but a bunch of people would be like who's that? Which is the point because they could make that documentary and it would be one of those documentaries where you'd be watching it. I'll be watching it the same way to some degree where to be like oh she was in that wait she was in that wait she was in that it'll be one of those documentaries <laughs> and it'll be really cool. Anyway, sorry, a little tangent there, <laughs> no. but. Uh, I'm going to go three and a half. I almost go three star banger, but I think I'm going to go three and a half on this one. Okay. Very cool. Eric. Oh, I'm definitely doing three star banger on this because yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's definitely the, it's definitely the, the people that like this sort of thing are going to love it. And the, you know, the people that it's not for, you know, it's not for them and they, and that's fine. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I think, uh, the people that subscribe to the screen box, you know, where you, where you would watch this, I mean, this is tailor made for that kind of crowd. Also, um, I mentioned this in the interview, but I'll mention it here as well. Uh, the directors, um, uh, uh, Christopher Griffiths and uh, uh, Gary Smart did a anthology series called Dark Ditties. Look that up. That thing's fantastic. That, you were it, praising that on the interview. Yeah, you really yeah I, it. I, I, I saw the, the offer um, and that was really good. And I'm going to dig into the rest of them. Uh, they're like, I think like two bucks on Amazon or something like that per episode. They're about an hour long and they're, you know, they're definitely low budget, rough around the edges, but they're, you know, they're really fun. I, I would highly recommend those as well. Okay. So that is three and a half stars for Bruce Perky and a three star banger from Eric Combs for Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert Englund story streaming on Screenbox and available via digital. And now as we're, before we close the show, we're going to do a what's in the box. And it's been, it seems like been the 12 of never since we actually had pete <laughs> what does pete do every single week at least and he should be doing it every single week and that's my fault for not putting it in eric holmes what does pete do every single week from m middle class film class yo pete beat that beat <laughs> i'm glad you said beat that beat instead of something else here we go <laughs> remove your hand from the box and you die what's in the box pain all right, guys, we're back. <laughs> no more. Okay, beat that beat. It should only be beat that beat. That is a fa- hashtag family show. I don't know. Family show, Kevin costume movie, Western. What do you have for us here on Cinematics for In the Box this week, Bruce? Open Range. And I don't know if I wrote it down. Did I write it down? Who 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 put Open Range in there? I don't even remember. Oh, it, it was it, by the Sisu director. Director yes. of Sisu. Yes, Open Range from 2003, starring and directed by Kevin Costner. And it's a Western, like you said. Oh, you're about you go, to say something, Greg. <laughs> someone, for, for, someone, I forgot who mentioned it in our Cinematics Facebook group. Someone was actually throwing a criticism at this movie. That this, I think it was maybe Mitch Burns. Did Mitch Burns from The Hollywood Persona say? I, I don't know. I, I could be speaking out of turn. But someone of our Cinematics Facebook group, please join our Facebook group. We do daily movie recommendations and just great some some great cinema talk on our facebook group page but someone a member was saying how dated open range felt it it didn't really work for him so anyways i I would love to hear what you think on this on that dated dated okay first of all i would say dated to this isn't really to me doesn't kind of apply because this is going for classic operatic 
old school Western. This is going for that. So I think that that's kind of, I, I don't think it's dated in any more than in any other, what, period piece or something that's trying to kind of give a look of an older style or at least capture the feel of an older style. So that being said, mentioned really quickly, we've got, uh, who do we got in here? We've got Kevin Costner, Robert Duvall, which I think Kevin Costner in the trivia said he fought for Robert Duvall to have top billing, which I think is an intelligent choice by Mr. Uh, Costner. Uh, Annette yeah. Benning, Michael Gambon, Diego Luna in a small part, and James Russo playing Marshall Poole. So and anyway. Kim Coates. Kim Coates. Yeah. Eric Holmes. Little uh, SOA yep. shout out for you. Yeah. Abraham Benrobi. Yeah, uh, played the, the Santa Claus in A Christmas Bloody Christmas. And he was uh, in the Old Way. Old Way. Very good. Eric Holmes. Yes. Very, very good. So yeah. anyway, this is a... Okay, Western. I think what the old the old standby is that uh, all Westerns are one of two things. Uh, a stranger walks into town or <laughs> a stranger leaves town and then everything else is just <laughs> window dressing. So this one basically is our strangers, which are Kevin Costner and his group. Uh, Kevin Costner and um, <clears throat> Robert Duvall playing boss. They are basically open rangers. What does that mean? Well, they take their cattle, they drive them across the open range and the cattle feed as they go from one place to another. And the rancher that lives near this town doesn't like that. They said, this is our land. You don't get to open range. You don't get to have your cattle here. So immediately there's a little uh, conflict set up. And so supposedly, well, what happens is Mr. Rancher, let's see, what is, who is, it's Michael Gambon, right? Baxter. Yeah, Michael Gambon. Baxter. Yes. He he and his cronies, he'll send out his his roughnecks or whatever they are. Roughnecks, I guess, think are something else. I don't know. Whatever. I'm losing my Yeah, idea. but they, they are kind of roughnecky. Yeah. Kind of dudes, but yeah. he'll send them out to basically uh, bully our group and then maybe do more to say, you get out of here, get out of here now. If you come back, you're in danger or maybe you're in danger for being here in the first place. And so leads to kind of the, the classic Western thing where it's like, you know, our heroes are basically going to have some sort of a showdown of some sort with the bad guys who want them out of the area. And that's kind of the the general the general story, right? It's a pretty basic classic story. So how much you like or don't like the story is how much you like kind of the meat and potatoes Western aspect of it and how much you can handle the schmaltz that <laughs> that Kevin Costner likes to, to ladle upon his movies. And every shot's a hero shot, all the music's soaring. So to the negative side, I would say Kevin Costner is the most wooden member of the cast and probably was very, very definitely right to make Robert Duvall a top top build because Robert can we Duvall, say though can, can i play the devil's advocate what about what if do you think maybe kevin costner a is just a wooden actor period or yes do you think he was okay <laughs> okay I, I was yeah. gonna say b i think he was doing a, a a riff on gary cooper in this movie i think i think that's also correct i think they're both yes <laughs> i think i think he was doing a riff on it but i think that's because that's his wheelhouse he really is not a very charismatic actor he he can be slightly more charismatic than this but I don't think there's a lot to be said to it. Uh, the other thing is there is a lot of moseying around in areas of this movie, which there should not be moseying around. Like major, major events and major threats have already happened and are and are in play. And then they'll just take detours and go off and have a whole romantic 15 or 20 minute segment, you know, at the, the farmhouse. And you're just like, what? But it sounds like I'm going to hate this movie and I don't hate this movie. Okay. This, this movie is kind of just like, like earlier Eric was saying, like sometimes you just give into a movie and you say like, it is what it is. This movie is what it is. It's not very logical. It's a Western. There's good guys and bad guys and go with it. I mean, <laughs> and no, I have uh, to say, and I have to say in the final act, there is an extended gunfight, which is pretty darn cool. But look, it's two hours and 19 minutes. You said just go. Yeah, it's too it. long for sure. Okay. <laughs> so, so you'd have to mosey a little bit to go along with it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a character in something called Mose. I think that's Benubi. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, pun intended, Bruce Perky. Yeah, look, I, haven't, I actually did the press jacket for Open Range, and I haven't seen Open Range since then. I remember loving it. Eric Holmes, your thoughts on Open Range. Do you agree with Bruce about the schmaltz, but did you eventually give into it? Or did you just love it right from the get-go? Did you just love it open arms kind of thing? Well, I, I absolutely agree with everything Bruce said, but it, it, it's where, because first of all, you have a soft spot for Kevin Costner, especially Same. in uh, Westerns. Uh, Wyatt Earp's awesome. Perfect yes. World's Western adjacent. Um, wow, Perfect World's so underrated. 
Yeah. Uh, Hatfields and McCoys, the good TV miniseries. Holy crap. Hatfields and McCoys is great. Um, this one doesn't quite reach those, uh, levels, but you know, it's a, it's your classic Western, uh, Robert Duvall's Robert Duvall. Like he's, he's the star of the show. Um, and hey, can, we Luna, that, can we say it's, it goes back to what Bruce was saying. Sorry, Eric. When I saw this in at, I would saw this actually at the Disney studios. And when I'm watching open range, I thought it would be a big vanity project because it's directed by Kevin Costner. And to your point, um, to both of your point, I go, what the heck? Robert Duvall's the main character in Open Range, right? It felt yeah. like he was like the main guy. Anyways, anyway. I, he, he's certainly my favorite character in this. Uh, Diego Luna, I completely forgot he was, because uh, I'd seen a long time ago. This is like one of those, you'll watch a movie you haven't seen in decades, and then you go back to it, and you know more actors at that point. So you go back and it's like, oh, crap, Diego Luna's in this. That, that's cool. But yeah, this he's is good uh, in it. Yeah, Kim Coates, uh, he had a very small part, but a very nice part. Um, very memorable part. Can I, yeah. can I get butted real quick? Can I say that <laughs> when you watch this movie, you'll forget that Diego Luna was in it. And then by the end of it, you will have forgotten that Diego Luna was in it. And then he'll be back. <laughs> I mean, that's totally unfair. That is totally fair. No, this is uh, this is like uh, this does not rewrite the the rules of westerns. You know, it doesn't really add anything to it, but it's kind of more the same if you're into that kind of movie. And- I have a theory on this though, because I remember I was covering Junkets a lot during that day. So he, Kevin Costner has directed several films. Obviously, uh, you know, Dances with, with Wolves, which was a huge hit, right? Then after the, you know, then after that, he did A Waterworld, which was not a huge hit, and then after that, he followed that with The Postman. Which was definitely not a hit in nineteen. I remember when he actually put he actually introduced the postman at the Warner Brothers Theater, and I'm like, oh yeah, Kevin Costner, you, this must be a really good film. He's introducing this film to all of us, and we're at the the screening, and I'm watching the postman. I go, this is just horror. I did not like that movie <laughs> one bit. Maybe you liked it, Eric. I, I apologize to you. So, the, uh, so you have Open Range, which which I like this one. But then you have Hatfields and McCoys, which I absolutely love. Right. Uh, two other Westerns that get compared is White Earp and Tombstone, because they're essentially sure. you know, they're similar yeah. stories, but different versions of it. I think Tombstone is like the fun version of that story. Yeah. And White Earp's like the actual good version of that same story. Yeah. This is where Hatfields and McCoys is White Earp. Open range is Tombstone. You know, I, I had fun watching, you know, the, the schmaltz sure, and the sure. ridiculousness and the awesome gunfight at the end, but it's not, it's not Hatfields and McCoys, like, but it's still good. I still enjoyed watching it. You know, what's, what's interesting is going back to the whole thing with uh, Water Waterworld and then Postman, I think with, to both of yours analysis of Open Range, I think with Open Range, he just wanted to hit a double in, in baseball terms. He just wanted to hit a, <laughs> yeah. a good, a, a, a ground rule double, not a homer, just a safe, really good, and and he said, "Let's just do a classic." Give me an RBI. Let's do this. Give me, give Let's me, get yeah, back yeah. to the just, sports. Just, and Costner yeah. loves baseball, so it totally makes sense, right? <laughs> he right. Sure does. Yeah, he, yeah. For love of the game, let's make a decent western, a solid western, and I think that's what you get with Open Range. I, I get, I I loved it a little bit more than you, but both of you, but. Again, it's I love that schmaltzy part of it, but I see what you guys are both saying about open range. Eric, your rating on this what's in the box pick from the Sisu director, open range. What, what are your thoughts? I probably go three and a half on this. Okay, and three. I'd probably watch it again too. I I really liked it. It you know, it, it definitely had its flaws, but it it was I dug it. And okay, again, I'm, soft spot for Costner. You know, yeah, <laughs> people say what they want about him. I, I, I dig the guy. By the way, Bruce, have you seen a perfect world? Oh, is that the one with him and um, Clint Eastwood? Eastwood? Yeah, yeah. What did you I was going to say one? it's very similar to Costner when he's got his uh, when he's playing baseball. Like there's, you know, deciding who's most wooden on the screen at the same time. <laughs> Well, I thought Jesus. a perfect world would be a movie that's right up your alley. How dare you? On that? I thought that was I thought that was a really wonderful movie. Anyway, Haley Joe in that too. Yeah, and then Laura Dern was in it as lots well. Lots of grass and and some nice yeah, cars. Lots of grass and I know it wasn't Haley Joel. It's someone maybe some a kid actor and, and Laura Dern was in in it. And yes, okay. I want to say Elijah of, Wood, but I think that's more of the buttons. Yeah, right. Or or no, no, you're saying Elijah Wood because Elijah Wood started with Kevin Costner in the war. We're, we're going down <laughs> we're into the weeds. <laughs> We get in the weeds. We get in the weeds. I love it, Bruce Brookie, You you're rating on open. Surprisingly, range. though, after all that, three and a half. I'll give it a three and a half too. Three and a half, solid recommendation. Yeah, I had a good time watching it. It was long though. So he said, "Not Vanity Project." He could have just cut out the whole romance with himself. How <laughs> and it would have been fine. Wait, there's a romance with himself. Did we mention the dog? The dog. 
What was more important, Bruce? The romance, the Kevin Costner romance with himself or the romance with Annette Bening? Which was more prominent, you think? <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know, man. There's a lot of shots of him standing there looking pretty heroic. So, uh... <laughs> good. Very good. Oh, Open. yeah. Or the buttons is way dead. Bruce, go ahead and put that in the box. War of the, the buttons. All right. <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen that one. Okay. War the buttons. But yeah, that was, that was absolutely not the Elijah Wood movie. I was thinking of your right. It was the war. Oh, and speaking of which, there was another Bomani J story from the angry black girl and her monster. His box pick. Eric Combs, do you remember what his box pick is from the, the, your interview? I can. I, oh, yeah. I that listened. was uh, The Fountain. The fountain, Darren Ashkis, the fountain, Bruce. That will be which I have never seen, and and I so it's in the box. I I Um, love that movie, and when he said that, I was like, sweet. There's someone else on this planet other than me and Darren Aronofsky that likes that movie. Oh, I think that's Darren Aronofsky's best film. I I loved it. I love that movie so much. I was actually hashtag Greg uh, name dropping again. I was actually at a screening in L.A. where Darren Aronofsky introduced the fountain, and I thought it was just a beautiful, beautiful movie, and it bombed. The movie bombed. I also need to yeah. check out his other. We talked about his other movie that uh, he didn't direct, but he wrote Rock Steady Row. I need to check that one out. Oh, Rock Steady Row. He's, he's, he's kind of like just 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 based on Angry Black Girl and her monster alone. Like he's just like one of those guys. Like I don't care what you come out with. I'm I'm watching everything he does from now he's on. So good. And to Bruce's point, I think we should have hammered this. Uh, I should have actually supported you on this argument. The whole narrative beats are not. It just goes mm-hmm. in different directions just because that's where the story led him as opposed to follow a certain script. And I, I love that about that movie. Now more movies to come as we close this show, because Bruce is going to pick something from the box as he shakes oh, the yes. box. What's yes, in that bleeping box. If you want some more recommendations, we're going we're to have a little uh, find your film segment as well. Check out our What's find your film podcast box, for Bruce. interviews and recommendations and et cetera. What's in the box? Bruce Berkey. What's in the box? Hey, yo, Bruce, what you got in that box down there? <laughs> Better not uh, well, be open ranging around well, this podcast, but instead get reaching that box. Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently, we are now a sports movie <laughs> podcast right. because my uh, next one is going to be Friday Night Lights, yes! which I yes. have never seen. Actually, do, so do you know who actually recommended Friday Night Lights to you? Was Andrew just, Martin. Oh, Andrew Martin from what Sets is right what is. There. What is his? Uh, oh, what's it called line? now? Cinema Sins or something like that? Cinema Sins, Andrew Martin. Andrew I might be wrong right. though, so okay. don't get me wrong on that one. Some interesting stuff again, so that we will be watching. Cult that. of Cinema. There Cult of Cinema. Yeah, Cinema of Sins is uh, the. What, You're right. Uh, They're the, the ones that say like the top, the honest trailers. Is kind of like that. They, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Andrew Martin. Then the Cult of Cinema and Cinema is spelled. S I N E M A, if I recall the cult of cinema, Andrew Martin. Thank you so much. Forgive me, Martin. I have sinned. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm excited for Friday Night Lights, though. I, I love that movie. Yeah, I love that movie, it's, too. So. It's going to be a good one. Bruce, you're going to be into, we'll see. Both Eric and I, spoiler. Yeah. We no, I, I have nothing against watching that movie. It's just one of those that's been there forever and it just never pulled me in, but I'm sure I'll enjoy it. I, I like kind of those classic, interesting sports movies. So I'm not, you're I don't in Alabama. It's not, it's not a big uh, football state, right, Bruce? Not, not so big. Nah, they don't know. Actually, <laughs> it is kind of not. If you're not into college football, that's not a good state for it. How are you? Are you the only person who's not into college football there? I, I, predominantly. I like college. it all right. I listen to it. So. Okay. Very, very good. Okay, so but that's, that's a different level down here. People are in their full Alabama PJs every morning on Sundays and Saturdays. And <laughs> that's amazing. So watch out. Uh, come on, you too, right? Do you have do you have your Alabama PJs? Just the underwear where you can't see it. <laughs> very, very big good. A. I'm an easy A. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> easy A. Easy A. Bruce Berkey. Final thoughts from you, Eric. Comes to final. To, you want to say something before we go? Yeah, I've got some uh, interviews coming up and some movies that we'll be covering in future. I, what, I don't know about this, Eric. What what, what interviews you got? You, you're, you're, are you hiding in the, in the closet? What, the, yeah, I, 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 I have like five of them to send to you tonight. No way. <laughs> but, what uh, are they? What? what? Uh, we got uh, Elemental, Reimagined Wildfire. Talk to the director, Trip Jennings. Uh, okay. We got Americond uh, and uh, Here is Better, both Emma uh, Griffith. Uh, sent me those and okay, so cool. those are some great docs uh the flood which i uh, did an interview with brandon slagle uh okay. which is kind of a really fun b movie uh shiro's uh the director jordan gertner yeah we got we, we got some good ones coming up you know not not all of them not not everything for everybody but i think uh there's gonna be some people that dig a lot of these that are coming out okay so you did the director from shiro's that's cool mm-hmm. okay cool i didn't know about these 
these are coming up down the road. You know yeah. what? You know what, Bruce Perky? I think the publishers are going right behind my back and saying, "Let's let's get the better interviewer and let's let's just bypass Greg and let's just get Eric Holmes." <laughs> but what say you, Bruce? You you, you think that's? I mean, good they're definitely not calling me, so I have nothing to say here. Hey, I, well, I, I, just, I just answer the emails. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. That oh, means that means that's a shot across good. the email bow yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good, Eric. You know they they picked a better interviewer, so don't worry about it. I'm I'm good with that as long as they get to Eric Holmes and me. It leaves me and Bruce to you know what, Bruce, with all that extra time, you don't have any extra time. Me and me and Eric, we're gonna make you watch Mending the Line, and, and we're gonna make you cry with the get a fly fish and sure. We, we, I'm, I'm, I'm know, might, Let's do this. I don't know. Maybe I don't know, Eric. Should we waste Bruce's two hours and have him? beg him to watch Mending Blind next week or should we say Bruce Perky save your two two hours we already got it covered What's I would a- say I would say this would be one of those Bruce like watch 20 minutes of it and you'll know whether you should continue or not Fair. if you're not oh, if you're that. well uh, I take that no. back because it opens up with the war scene after the war scene go 15 minutes past that and okay. then you'll know if it's for you or not you know Bruce is gonna do Bruce is gonna watch it he's gonna start at 35 minutes in He's going to realize that me and you recommended it to him. So he's going to hate watch the entire thing and he's going to hurl vectives at us all next week. So if you want to mend the line that way, Bruce, you could be, you could do that and throw vectives at us after watching that movie. We don't know if he's going to mend the line or not next week, but what uh, you're going to leave us with a final thought on cinematics. If you haven't heard enough of me, which I can't imagine that you <laughs> have want more, I'm going to be, I think this Friday they're dropping the next, uh, middle-class film class trivia championship and i'm on there and i can't say i think how i did let's just say hashtag gone in 60 seconds what trivia may not be a young man or old man's game <laughs> let's just say that <laughs> wow okay well check it out oh i'm sorry bruce we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens um middle class film class we love those guys and we will see you next week here on cinematics bruce you better do better next time you better represent we'll see hey, it's spelling did be in did be in for sure <laughs> okay we'll see ya.